This is Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me out of all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near right, to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I'll say again, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He will keep all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Afflictions will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those, none of them who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is God's word for his people. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you call us to gather and worship you this morning. God, would you be with us now? Would you give us sharp minds as we come to Psalm 34, that we would understand its intricacies and its beauties, um, that we would know what it has for us? Would you give us soft hearts, that we would be drawn into worship? This psalm would help us to see you in greater ways, to treasure your gospel in greater ways. Um, God, would we be a people? Would you create in us a hunger for your word? And God, would you feed us now? Uh, We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When we planted uh, the church about four years ago now, if you're new, we're about four years old as a church, Uh, it was the first time that I had uh, become a pastor 
in my life, which I'm only 30, so that's probably not surprising to many of you. Uh, But before that, I was doing college ministry at another church here in Omaha. And as we were getting ready to, to plant, I kind of assumed that pastoring was going to essentially be the same thing as doing college ministry, just with maybe some older people. You know, it's like, well, in college ministry, I was leading and I was preaching and we had a staff team and I was casting vision. And I was like, it's kind of all of those things just with maybe a a wider range of people. And so uh, during the kind of year on ramp, uh, getting ready to plant the church, I had a couple uh, pastors that had been pastors for a while that every so often that year we would just meet and they would kind of uh, just help me out, give me some advice as we were getting ready to plant. And, And during that time, we had a few conversations that were especially helpful Uh, And those tended to be the ones where these guys would actually help warn me or kind of prepare me for some of the unique things that were going to happen once I was a pastor. Uh, You know, I, I remember one conversation that one of the guys, he sat me down, we were talking, and he said, hey, I want to kind of just paint a little bit of a picture for you of maybe some of the things you're, you're unprepared for. Some of the things that will inevitably happen once you become a pastor in the church. It was things like, hey, you need to be ready to, to do your first funeral. Right? You need to be ready to, to sit with a grieving family or a member of your church that just went through a horrible tragedy. You need to be ready for for the loneliness that comes with the role sometimes, with being hurt by certain people that you love or people leaving the church. He said, these are things that inevitably will come and you need to be somewhat prepared for that when they do. Now, over the last few years, especially, honestly, over this last year or two, uh, when we faced just a, a really challenging ministry year, um, it, it, I, I'm looking back at some of those conversations feeling like, I don't know that I knocked it out of the park, but I feel like I was better prepared to handle some of the challenges that this last year has brought because somebody, I had the invaluable um, benefit or blessing of a friend sitting me down beforehand and helping prepare me for what was to come. You know, those conversations a few years ago, they didn't prevent me from challenging moments but they helpfully prepared me to face those moments. Have you ever had anybody do that for you? You know, maybe you, uh, maybe somebody from their own experience, they kind of sat you down and they said, hey, as you get into this new job, here's a couple things you need to be prepared for. As you go into marriage, here's a few things you need to be prepared for, or parenting, or, or a new season of life, or you move somewhere and it's like, hey, here's a couple things you should just watch out for. This morning, I believe this is what King David is going to do for us through Psalm 34. Uh, David Mathis, who's an author for the the Desiring God ministry, uh, he writes that the, the whole aim and the purpose of Psalm 34 is to prepare God's people to suffer. That the whole aim of David, he is like an, that invaluable friend who is going to sit us down and he is going to help prepare us for the challenging and dark moments of life. He's going to help prepare us to suffer 
well. And so that's simply my hope for us this morning. And maybe if you feel like you're in a challenging season, or maybe if you kind of reflect on your life and you think back to a challenging moment, my hope is that this psalm could be of comfort to you. But particularly today, my aim, and I think the aim of Psalm 34, is for maybe some of us in the room uh, who maybe you're younger, or maybe you just, you've never really faced really hard things in life yet. Like, like deep, soul-level, just tragedy and hardships. Psalm 34, I think, is uniquely and particularly for you. All right, so this, this isn't to say if you are in suffering, this, this hopefully can be some comfort to you. But the aim is for people who aren't in a season of suffering yet, and it, the aim is to prepare you for that season when it comes. And so if, if, you're, if you feel like you're not in a season of suffering, you haven't really gone through a lot of hardships, don't write this sermon off because it's about suffering. The sermon is actually for you. This is particularly aimed for people so that we can be prepared well for suffering. And what we see as you get into Psalm 34, so if you got a Bible, go Psalm 34. We'll be there all morning. Um, David is going to call us to this. And, and you can see kind of like last week, the introduction to the psalm is going to be this call that no matter what happens in life, we should praise the Lord. So, so look with me just at the first three verses. This is kind of David's introduction, his, his challenge to us as a people. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So if you were here last week, that, that kind of sounds similar to the first three verses in Psalm 33, right? I mean, just look at it. Verse 1, bless the Lord. Praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 2, boast in the Lord. Verse 3, magnify the Lord. Exalt his name together. Right? The, the call is crystal clear from David in this psalm. People of God, today, church, praise the Lord. But I want you to notice in verse 1, when are we to praise the Lord? Look at what he says. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Why do you think that David had to explicitly say, not just praise the Lord, but praise the Lord always, continually? Ask yourself, when do you most need to be reminded of God's goodness and that we should praise the Lord? What times in life do you most need to be reminded of that? Is it the moments where he does amazing things in your life, where everything's going good, you, you feel spiritually vibrant and full? Or maybe think, uh, maybe if, if you've ever said the words, like you've actually exclaimed, man, God is so good. When did you say those words? Was it in the dark moments of life? 
Or was it when God did something really good for you, when he provided something for you, when something really, really good happened? See, the reality is, God is always good. We should always praise him. But we need to remember it most when our circumstances aren't so good. Right? We need to know, bless the Lord at all times, especially in our dark and suffering moments. This is what David's going to press in. I think he's going to help prepare us for suffering so that you can have joy in the midst of suffering. Right? You can have joy in the midst of suffering. Uh, in the New Testament, this is what Paul says. If you've read uh, 2 Corinthians 6.10, have you heard this phrase before? It says that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Have you ever seen people like that? Or maybe that idea just seems impossible to you. Right? Have, you, have you seen people where it just feels like, man, there's just challenge after challenge in their life. Like just always these hardships. And you think, how do they stay joyful? Right? How do they stay clinging to the Lord in the midst of challenge after challenge? My wife and I, we know a couple uh, here in Omaha where they've just had an incredibly challenging time with one of their kids. And I have watched them and just thought, how in the world do they stay joyful? Like how, how can you be that sorrowful and still remain close to the Lord? Maybe that's what you want. Maybe if you would say, I want to be sorrowful, yet I want a joy so deep in my soul that I can say, I am sorrowful yet always rejoicing. If that's true of you, this psalm is for you. This is the goal of this psalm. Uh, D.A. Carson, who's a, a theologian, he, he once wrote, one of the major causes of devastating grief and confusion among Christians is that our expectations are false. We do not give the subject of evil and suffering the thought it deserves until we ourselves are confronted with tragedy. He goes on to say that you cannot build a theology of suffering in the midst of it. Well, what's helpful for the people of God is before you suffer to have a healthy theology of God and suffering. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. As we go through Psalm 34, we're going to look at three truths from Psalm 34 that I think is going to help us be prepared to suffer well. It's going to kind of build a good theology in us so that when those dark moments come, we can actually say, we are sorrowful, but we are always rejoicing. So let's look at Psalm 34. Here's truth number one. We need to learn this morning that those who seek are heard. All right, so if you're a note taker in the room, I got three statements. They're all going to be like this, these short little statements. So write this down. Or if you're not a note taker, I would encourage you, get your phone out or something. Put this in a little note. Just title it like, thoughts for a dark day or something. All right, so these are going to be, I want you to get, when you suffer someday, I want you to go to Psalm 34, and I want you to remember these three truths. So you can write these little sayings down. But number one is, those who seek are heard. Let me show you where I'm seeing that. Let's go Psalm 34. 
Uh, Let's read four through seven. This is David's experience. This is where he's writing from. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Those who seek the Lord in the midst of suffering are heard by the Lord. So, church, if we are going to be a people who are well prepared to suffer, then today we need to know what the Lord often is doing in the midst of our suffering. All right, so I'm not going to say this is in every case of suffering, but oftentimes in the midst of suffering, we can know that the Lord is doing something. Or in other words, we need to know today before suffering that when that day comes, the Lord is not absently passive in our suffering, but he is actively working through our suffering. Uh, the, the context for this psalm, if you're looking at it in your Bible, there, there's probably a little heading uh, before the psalm begins that kind of tells us a little bit. Uh, this psalm was uh, from a moment in David's life where he was feeling alone. Uh, he was imprisoned. He was facing potential death. It was one of the darkest moments of David's Life. You can actually read about the scene in 1 Samuel 21. All right, so we're not going to go there today for time, but you can mark that down. 1 Samuel 21 is actually the story of one of these really dark moments in David's life. And after the Lord delivers him, so he helps him out of this enormously challenging moment of life, this is the psalm that David writes. So, right out of suffering, he pens this poem. And he reminds God's people that in the darkest hour of his life, what does he say he did in verse 4? He sought the Lord, and the Lord answered him. Verse 6 says, David was a poor, broken man. He cried to God, and the Lord came to his rescue. And now David is saying, for God's people, he's reminding us, that in moments of suffering, we cannot miss the fact that God often allows these moments in order for us to call on his name and depend on him in ways we never would if we didn't suffer. This is what David wants to remind us. Now, to to make that point even a little bit clearer, I actually want to take you to a different verse, all right? So we're going to go out of Psalm 34 for just a second. You don't have to go there um, because it's in a prophet and it may be hard to find. So uh, in Zechariah, all right, the prophet Zechariah, we'll throw it up on the screen in just a second. Uh, Zechariah 13.9, God is speaking to his people, his, his rebellious people, Israel. All of his people, they've disobeyed, and God says, Two-thirds of these people are going to perish. But I am going to work through and save one-third of them. He said, a third of my people I'm going to save. I'm going to work through and use them. And this third, these third, they're going to be the actual people of God, the people that trust God. Now, as we read this verse, 
I want you to listen to what God does to this third. So not the two third that are going to perish, but the third that are his, his people that trust him. Listen to this verse. This is Zechariah 13, 9. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. Then they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Now you got to catch this because this is not normal Christianity in our context today. We don't think like this. But this verse says, God is saying, I will take my people and I will send them into the fire. Do you notice that? He said, I will put them into the fire. Now you got to think, why does God do this? Why would God send his people that trust them into moments of hardship and suffering? What does the verse say? It goes on to say, for they will call upon my name. They would seek him. He says, I'm going to put them in the fire so that they actually seek me. They call me. They would desire me. And what does he say he'll do when we seek his name in the midst of suffering? He says, I will answer you. And I will remind you of the gospel truth. You are my people and I am your God. He he says, because here's the reality. When life is really good, we rarely seek God the way we should. Right, like when life is easy and everything is going well, we rarely seek God as we should. And then when suffering comes, we don't run to God, we usually just attack God. Right, we say, well, why have you done this? Why have you brought me into this area? And God is saying here, I have put you into the fire so that you would actually seek me, so that you could be refined. He needs to actually burn off the idolatry and the love of self and the love of the world. He needs to burn that off in the fire so that we would actually seek the Lord so he could remind us, you're mine and I am yours. Friends, you may be in a season of suffering right now, or that season may come soon. And that season may be there because the Lord relentlessly wants your heart and allegiance. And sometimes we need the fires of suffering to get us to a place where we will actually desire God above all things. So I want to plead with you today prepare for suffering in the future by not seeing those seasons as detours off your road of a happy life, right? Don't see those seasons as proof that God has left you or that he's mad at you. See those seasons, see the fire as a time of reminding you to seek the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, a few months ago, I, I shared a story uh, about Jim Elliott, who's a famous missionary. Him and, and four other guys uh, were killed as they, they were taking the gospel to a tribe in South America. Uh, and his wife, Elizabeth, after he died, uh, she wrote this. The deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires, 
have come the deepest things that I know about God. And church, I can tell you that this has been so true in my own life over this last year. Um, A lot of you know what my family's gone through over the last year. We faced hardships and health issues and issues with our son and just thing after thing. And I can tell you that I have experienced what I would say in our life has been the deepest waters and the hottest fire. And in the Lord's wonderful kindness, this season has humiliated me, it has crushed me, it has broken me, and in God's mercy, it has refined me. It has made me desire the Lord in ways that I have never desired the Lord before. It has taught me the closeness and the presence of the Lord like I have never learned before. And like Elizabeth Elliot says, it is in the deepest waters and the hottest fires that we learn the deepest things about our God when we seek him. Do not waste your season of suffering by being unprepared to call on the name of the Lord when that season comes. He often puts us in the fires so that we would desire him and experience him in new ways. All right, number two. Number two, the second encouragement from this psalm. Fear and do good. Fear and do good. So first, the psalmist reminds us um, that those who seek the Lord are actually heard by him in times of suffering. The second one, we're going to read kind of a bigger section in the middle of the psalm. And the second idea is that we, in the midst of suffering, need to remember to fear and do good. Now, um, as we go through this section, I want you to, to notice the words fear and good. All right, as we read through these verses. Now, uh, just a really quick note. When you hear the word fear, all right, you read that word in here, don't think like uh, scared or terrified or like you're spooked by the Lord, all right? So it's not that. Uh, The idea of fear, that word could be translated uh, reverence or worship or awe, all right? So don't think like a child in his room uh, that's dark at night where he's like scared Think of seeing something mighty and you have this reverent fear, all right? So let's read verses 7 through 14, and I want you to notice those words, fear and good. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord (coughs) lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see Good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. All right, here's my idea on this point. In times of suffering, we fear the Lord because he is good, and we do good out of our fear of the Lord. Okay, I'll say that again. 
in times of suffering, we fear the Lord because he is good and we do good out of our fear of the Lord. All right, so let me explain that. Uh, A few years ago, my family went to Italy and it was like a dream vacation for me. So we have like uh, our family's Italian. And so we went there and we got to see all these amazing things. But one of the, the just amazing things that we did was in, in a lot of the cities we would go to, we would go to these massive cathedrals or we even went to the, the Vatican. And, and if you've ever been to some buildings like this, you step into these buildings. And I remember a couple of them, we would walk in And it wasn't like a choice that we made. You just walk in and there is a sense of reverence that just kind of like wells up inside of you. Like you walk into these grand majestic buildings and there's a sense of awe and reverence that just automatically, like it just, it instills that inside of you. Have you ever experienced something like that um, where you've seen a building or, or maybe honestly even if you've uh, met like a, a celebrity or somebody famous and there's just like this kind of awe that comes over you when you see them or, or when you stand before like the Grand Canyon or these giant mountains. You, you see something and it just wells up inside of you this type of reverence and awe. Well, that's because when we experience something great or mighty, the the proper and natural response is an awe-filled fear. Now, if that's the case before buildings and landmarks and certain people, how much more should that be the case when we experience our God? The psalmist says we should fear him with worship and awe. But I want you to notice in this psalm, why is it that we fear the Lord, right? Because other places in the Bible says we should fear the Lord because he is mighty and powerful. Like when you see the the mightiness of a building or something, it it builds this in, um, we should fear the Lord because of that. But I want you to notice in this psalm, it's not because of his power and his strength, but because of his goodness. Verse 8. Taste and see his goodness. Verse 9 and verse 10 says his goodness provides everything for us. We lack no good thing. The Lord is not just powerful and mighty, but we, when we experience his goodness, his beauty, how he's so good over and over, how he provides every single day for us, it says it should well up in us this fear of the Lord. And because of that, the second part of the section we just read says, if we fear the Lord for his goodness, then the proper response for us is to do good. Look at verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. When you experience the goodness of God, you fear him. And those who fear him should live out of that goodness by doing good as a response. In Providence, that's not just true in the easy moments of life. That needs to be our foundation for the moments of suffering. Because God's goodness doesn't revolve around your circumstances being good. And your holiness doesn't get to take a break 
because your circumstances are bad, right? And this is hard for us. Like, we are, God's goodness is not only true when he provides really good things for you or when you're really happy with God. It's not just, his goodness doesn't revolve around what you see in your circumstances. He's just good always. And your holiness, your doing good, doesn't get to take a break because life is hard, right? And how easy is that for us? Like when, when things go bad and we just kind of like, we can act out and we can do things that we normally wouldn't do. And, and honestly, most people would say, well, you know, life's really hard. So we kind of give people a break. That's not what the Psalm says. He says, in the midst of suffering, don't let your holiness take a break. He says, continue to do good. Seek peace, pursue it, because the Lord is still good. Uh, this is reiterated to Christians in, in the book of 1 Peter. Right? If you've read through 1 Peter, you know that that whole letter is a book to Christians that are suffering. Uh, in fact, um, the whole book basically is, is Peter writing to Christians who are suffering about how to live in the midst of suffering. And Peter quotes Psalm 34. So if you thought maybe I was overhyping Psalm 34, being, preparing people for suffering, this is, that's literally what Peter does. In fact, I read a scholar this week uh, that said that he thinks that Peter was meditating on Psalm 34 when he wrote his letter. Because uh, he quotes it in a few different places, and actually thematically, it's kind of similar in a few places. And, and I don't know if that's true or not, but regardless... Peter uses our psalm today to write to Christians that are in suffering to help them. And what Peter says is that even when you're suffering, not only is the Lord still good, but Christians keep doing good. Let me show you a couple of verses from 1 Peter 3. Uh, you can go there if you want, otherwise they'll be on the screen. 1 Peter 3, this is verses 8 and 9. He says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, right after that, he quotes our psalm, the section that we just read. Okay, he says that we need to do good. He says, don't abandon your calling. Keep walking in holiness. Be good. Love. Be humble. Be, don't revile when you're reviled. When evil comes, don't respond in evil. And why do we do all of this? Well, he says in verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. He's saying, look, if suffering is in your life, don't think that's against the will of the Lord. He said, look, it, the Lord, it may be God's will for you to suffer. That's what Zechariah said. That's what the Psalm says. That's what Peter says. It may be the Lord's will that you are in suffering, but it better be because you're suffering for doing good. He said, don't suffer for doing evil. Uh, so today, we're not talking about if you're in a season of suffering because of your own sin, all right? That's a sermon for another day. That's not what we're talking about today. He's saying, don't suffer for doing evil, and don't do evil while you're in suffering. And how can we do that? How can we possibly stay holy and true to the Lord? Because we remember God is not absent 
in our suffering. He is still good in and through our suffering. So church, make the resolution today, before suffering comes, to trust the Lord and do good even in the midst of suffering. Don't put the extra weight on yourself to try to figure that out in your darkest moment of your life. Figure that out today. Like fix it in your mind today. Know the theology today. The Lord is good no matter what and I will continue to do good no matter what. Make that resolution before suffering. All right, that's number two. Last one, number three. Uh, Go back to our psalm. The third one is the righteous take refuge. The righteous take refuge. Specifically, in these verses, it's going to be that the righteous take refuge in the Lord. So let's read the remaining verses. Uh, And again, I want you to notice those two words. You'll see righteous over and over again, and at the very end, we'll see the word refuge. Uh, Let's look at 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So here's my my sentence or my point on this one. Those who take refuge are righteous. And those righteous continue to take refuge. Okay? Those who take refuge are righteous, and those righteous continue to take refuge. Let me quickly explain that. Uh, one interesting thing to me in those verses, maybe you notice this, is that when he's talking about a, a hard situation and challenging moments, did you notice that the Lord is not neutral on whose side he is on? Did you see that in those verses? Uh, Like verse 15, it says, the Lord is with the righteous. Verse 16 says, and he is against those who do evil. So before you go into a season of suffering, you need to know which side am I on, right? He says, I'm with the righteous and I'm against the evil. For you, you need to know, okay, well, which camp am I in? Because in the moments of suffering, if you're one of the righteous, you know you have the Lord with you, you are on his side, and that is a great comfort. But if you are on the evil side, the unrighteous side, he says that he is against you. I mean, verse 16, I think, goes so far to say uh, that he will cut the memory of them off the earth. I read that, and I thought, that sounds like overkill, right? Like, literally, no one will remember the evil, Like, that's what he's going to do. That's how much he is against the evil. So how do you know? How do you know which side you're on? Well, we can look at our lives, right? We can start there. And so if you look at your life, uh, righteous, according to the Bible, according to God's standard, is to be perfect like God. 
So righteous is not that you've been generally good or that you've uh, been good sometimes or that you've been good recently or that you will be good. That's not what righteous means. Righteous means you've been perfect always. Evil is simply the opposite of that. It's just so you have the perfect ones and then you have the unrighteous, those who have been imperfect at any point in their life. So if we look at our lives to see which side we are on, we are all on the unrighteous side. There's not one of us who can say that we are actually on the righteous side. But I want you to remember what I said at the beginning. Who are the righteous? Those who take refuge are righteous. So how does this work? Well, if we go, if we go back to First Peter, uh, verse we left it in verse three or chapter three, verse seventeen. The very next verse. Just listen to this. This is First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So you see what happens here in Christ. It says Christ endured. He suffered. Once. So on the cross, Christ suffered. He was the righteous one who didn't deserve to suffer, who, who didn't deserve to pay the penalty of unrighteousness. He was the one on God's side, but he suffered once for sins for the unrighteous, it says, for us, all of us. And what did he do? What was the purpose of that? So if there's two sides, he's over here, he's on the Lord's side, we're all unrighteous over here. What did he do? He suffered so that he might bring us to God, the passage says. So the call for us is to be righteous or to become righteous, not by welling that up inside of you, but by taking refuge in the finished work of Christ. First Peter says, look, the way that you actually move from unrighteous to righteous, moving away from God to being with God, is not by doing something good enough in you. Do you notice that First Peter 3 didn't say anything about you? It doesn't say anything about what you did. It says, how do you move from unrighteous to righteous? It's by what Christ has done. It's that Christ has gone from righteous and he on the cross, all of your unrighteousness, all of your sin, all of your shame, uh, all, everything. When Christ was on the cross, he was seen as that. He was seen as the, the porn addict, the, the lazy one, the guilty one, the, the one who is filled with shame, the greedy one. He was seen as that on the cross because that's who we are. And in that, he could actually give us righteousness so that you are not seen as that anymore. You are seen as forgiven. You are seen as whole. You are seen as righteous. And you are now with God if you have taken refuge in Christ. So look, to prepare for suffering, the first step for some of you in the room today is to move from unrighteous to righteous. Because all of this sermon is applicable to those who have taken the refuge in Christ. Because the Lord says in Psalm 34, he is against the unrighteous. He is not with, in a comforting way, the unrighteous. So the step for you is to actually move to being righteous by placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. It's the only way that you can have your sins forgiven and you can actually move to being with the Lord. And then the call for all those who are righteous by taking refuge is in the moments of suffering, you continue to take refuge in the Lord. We endure the hardships of life 
by taking refuge in the presence of our God in the midst of them. So hear me. If you are in Christ, many afflictions will come. Do you believe that? If you have been told by preachers or people before or Christians that in this life you will prosper and in this life everything is going to go well for you, that's not what the Bible says. Look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus said this himself in John 16, 33. He said to his followers, in this world you will have success, money, ease, comfort. No, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. Peter is writing to Christians because they suffer in life. In this world, we will suffer. Do not be surprised by suffering, but prepare for suffering today by taking refuge in Christ today and making a resolution that you will continue to take refuge in Christ on that day. Because if you are in Christ, he promises to be with you. And the promise of this psalm is that suffering will not have the final say. If you are righteous, suffering does not have the final say. You may suffer every day on earth. And in the end, Christ will deliver you. He will move you from anguish to glory. He will take all of your suffering. He will take our kidney failure. He will take the deaths. He will take the illnesses. He will take the, the, the train-wrecked relationships. He will take the, the loss of a job. He will take the loneliness. He will take the pain and the hurt. And he will deliver you to glory. We suffer with Christ today so that we will be with him in glory forever. This is the hope of what Christ does. So church, may we be a people prepared to suffer well. Uh, let me end with this. There was a, a story of Michelangelo who, he did the, the famous statue of Moses. I don't know if you guys have seen this in the 1500s. And he did it and it was so lifelike and so real. And so people asked him, they said, man, how did you make it so real? How did you make it look so much like Moses? And his answer was easy. He said, I simply kept chipping away at everything that wasn't Moses. Christian, the Lord will relentlessly and graciously continue to chip away everything in your life that isn't Christ. Over your life, he'll chip and chip and chip. And some of that's going to hurt. And some of those moments are going to be painful. But he relentlessly will do that because that is not who you are anymore. You are in Christ and he is making you like Christ. Therefore, as a church, we can suffer well to know those moments of suffering are not God abandoning us. There are a lot of times the Lord just chipping away, making us like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for all seasons in life. Um, God, we are grateful for the, the good things that you have done for us. God, we are grateful for the, the challenging moments. We are grateful that we can praise you in the midst of everything, that you relentlessly work in us. 
So God, would you help us now? Would you help us to, to not just sit in this place of, of knowing suffering's coming, but knowing that we have a hope in the midst of it, that we have a deliverance that is coming through it, that, that you may heal and you may deliver in this earth, but you for sure are going to heal and deliver one day. God, we can rest in that and hope in that. We can be a people that are sorrowful when life is hard, that we may actually say and lament that life is challenging and difficult, but we can always be rejoicing. We can always have a hope and a joy that is deep, a soul-level happiness that comes through no matter what the circumstances say. So God, we are grateful to you. Jesus, we are grateful that you have bought us by your blood that you are with us, Lord, that you are working in us, that you are shaping us to be like you. We are so grateful. We want to call on your name and seek you now. Would you hear us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Father, Son,